Welcome to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? with your host, Jeff Stein. This program really does uncover the sometime myth that all are innocent until proven guilty. The truth is that many innocent people are found guilty of a crime that they did not commit. We discuss the judicial system, its flaws, and where it could be made better. Now, here is Jeff Stein. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Episode 10 of Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? There are many wrongful arrests and convictions in the United States. This show works to address things that can be fixed and how. We will talk to victims of wrongful arrests and convictions, witnesses, people involved in the judicial process, and try to create an understanding that our current judicial system is not truth and justice for all. Keep in mind that this is a live show. Feel free to call or email questions or topics that you'd like to discuss or hear discussed on our show today or in the future. Today, I'm really excited. Our guest is a colleague and friend of mine, Eric Devan, a licensed professional investigator from South Carolina, originally from the Philadelphia area. Eric and I have known each other for a little over 10 years. However, we have a long history. Once we connected, we learned so much about each other and how our paths had crossed before and a lot of things that we had in common. For example, we are both graduates of Westchester University. Jim Carino, who's really known as the godfather of private investigators, was a mentor to both of us at different stages of our, our careers. And to be honest, I, I think he still mentors both of us to this day. We both belong to Intelnet, the leading worldwide investigative association that was originally founded by Jim Carino. With that said, good morning, Eric, and welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? Good morning, Jeff, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm, I'm glad you're here and look forward to, uh, to our conversations. Bef- before we get started, I, I just want to mention uh, last week, the private investigator and security industry lost an icon, friend Bor- Fred Bornhofen, who he passed away. He was a, a good friend and colleague to both Eric and I. Fred was one of the founders of the International Security Management Association, which was the premier association of security professionals. Upon retirement, he became a licensed private investigator in Pennsylvania and then helped found the Pennsylvania Association of Licensed Investigators, otherwise known as PALI, where I happen to be presenting um, tomorrow in Hershey, PA, at their conference. Fred served many years as, as our treasurer for PALI. He was also elected to be the Associate Executive Director for Intelnet, a worldwide private investigation association, and served on the board of directors. And in 1990, he was invited to join, at that time, the new VDOC Society, and he became the chairman of the board and case manager. This group, now famous, was established to help law enforcement in the investigations of cold cases and generated massive public interest in homicide investigations as featured on TV. So it's it's really with great sadness that he passed away. I, I know we both had the honor to, to know and work with Fred in many of these associations. He was a class act. Uh, a group of us, known as the Gang of Six, would meet quarterly for lunch, and I know I will miss Fred not being there at those at those luncheons. Um, so my heartfelt condolences go out to his family and our our industry. And Eric, you may even have some memories of him that you'd like to share as well. Um, I, I know I think he was a, a guest lecturer at one of your college classes. Yeah, and uh, at Westchester. Um during a retail security uh, um, course, 
uh, Fred Bornhofen had to um, step in as a substitute for um, the professor who couldn't make it. And I literally sat in front of the class and he was so captivating and I took notes and wrote down all these things he said. It was theories about um, why people... um, why people steal on a on a large scale, and uh, all the things made sense. I know I can think of besides that a couple other things that Fred said that um, I, I wouldn't say necessarily revolutionary, but made sense. I remember one time talking to Fred about about lighting, and he said, "You know what lights do um, when people." Uh, steal from corporations and break into cars or try to break into buildings? I said, no, what do they do? He says, well, they make it a little easier because now the folks can see. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, you never you never think. You think the lights are for safety, but, you know, um, without using the lights strategically, all you're doing is helping criminals um, to... Uh, do something that would be a little bit more difficult without the without the aid of the light. So uh, Fred had a lot of insight, and uh, he absolutely absolutely will be missed. No doubt. Yeah, I, I'm. We used to go to to lunch quarterly. There was a group of us, including him and Jim Carino, and you know, we the email titles were the Gang of Six, which I'm sure if you lived in this area, it would have been the Gang of Seven. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to miss yeah. you know. Not seeing Fred there. He's he's just really interesting guy. Very knowledgeable and always willing to help. Um, just just really an icon in our industry. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with that. So on previous shows, I've mentioned that there are many wrongful arrests and convictions in the United States, and we try on this show to to create an understanding for our listeners that our current judicial system is not necessarily truth and justice for all. And that everyone needs to be aware there's there's really a widespread problem in our country. And it does not discriminate against race, religion, sex, or nationality. Anyone can become a victim to the judicial system because of false or coerced statements, ineffective assistance of counsel, lackadaisical police work, prosecutorial misconduct, jailhouse snitches, deceitful witnesses, even dishonest expert witnesses, and the list goes on and on. For our, for our listeners... Uh, did you know that there are approximately 2 million people in jail and prison in the United States? And, and that's more than any, we house more people in prison than any other country, any other um, domesticated country. And there, there's no perfect formula that can be applied to how many are actually, in, how many are innocent, but is believed to be anywhere from 2% to as much as 10%. And when you put that in perspective, that equates to 40,000 on the low end or on the high end, it could be as many as 200,000 innocent men or women who have been wrongfully convicted. And that doesn't even include those that have been wrongfully charged of a crime. So those numbers really are, are much higher and, and, and scary. And um, now that I just got done talking so much, Eric, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about you and how you got started in, in this profession and what you do and where and I know you're extremely passionate about teaching and training as I am. And so tell us a little bit about that too. Yeah. Um, so again, I 
graduated from, from Westchester University, and I was fortunate enough to um, get on with a company outside of Harrisburg as a uh, undercover investigator, and I was put into uh, assignments in corporations. I worked in power and industry, telecommunications. Uh, I worked in wholesale jewelry, and the cases um, end up ranging from child pornography to murder for hire to large-scale theft. There were a lot of cases that involved um, drugs, uh, selling drugs on on these corporate properties, uh, mostly to to other employees. Um, and so the corporations wanted to kind of quietly root this root this. Uh, root the crime out and um, uh, local law enforcement didn't have the uh, personnel or the time to undertake a three-month, six-month investigation. Um, so, you know, corporations were willing to to hire investigators and uh, I, I'd say I was pretty good at it. Um, I was able to move around in the uh, Mid-Atlantic area, uh, taking on cases. Um, the last case I worked in Philadelphia, uh, it was uh, multifaceted, I, to say the least, um, and it involved uh, drugs, and um, uh, there were a couple murders involved, and and uh, theft and um, a little bit of corruption. Uh, the major crimes of Philadelphia was involved in it and the Secret Service was involved in it because of uh, a couple people and elements of the case. And when that case was over, I decided to um, start my own company and, and not necessarily work for directly for somebody else but to uh, really work cases the way I wanted them to work um, and have more say on on uh, the um, just how the cases were run and how the cases were handled. Uh, slow going when I when I when I first got started, but uh, I stuck to it. And what I what I found was after. Uh, maybe 15 plus years is that a lot of a lot of the people that I found to be colleagues uh, were missing some of the things that 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 I that I learned from the field. I was fortunate enough to do a lot of surveillance and and work with a company doing surveillance. I was fortunate enough to uh, have to write reports and submit to the district attorney's office in Philadelphia and there's a certain way you got to write those reports. So I took all the things that, uh, that I, that I learned that I wanted to share with other folks and I developed some curriculum and I took it to the law enforcement division here in South Carolina with the SLED and said, I wanted to be a, um, approved continuing education instructor. So I got approved for, um, the uh, two-hour courses, I do one and two-hour courses. There's about eight courses that I have now. 
Um, and I thought it was great. I thought I was doing a great job. And uh, um, uh, I thought about it and said, well, if I'm doing courses not only in person, but I'm doing them online, why not see if I can be approved in some other states? So I'm also approved in North Carolina and Tennessee and Minnesota. And uh, uh, based on that, I've, I've presented or uh, provided continuing education in uh, Toronto and Indiana and uh, live in Minnesota. So uh, I've been able to take the show on the road. And I'm always trying to do more of uh, the continuing education, whether it's uh, online or with, or with conferences. I just think it's so important that uh, we share uh, we share the information. And in the process, I learned some more things. I learned some more tricks. Uh, I just learned some more technical aspects of, of how to be a better investigator. Um, so just because I'm the presenter doesn't mean that I'm not I'm not learning to um, I'm learning as well. So uh, between the, the monthly courses and the and the biannual conference uh, twelve credit conferences, um, I'm able to to spread my wings and really help out a lot of folks. Um, uh, and I know that I'm able to help out a lot of folks because they continue to come back. They'll take the courses, they'll ask about more courses, but more importantly, they'll be working on an investigation and say, hey, I remember you were talking about something on the surveillance and I need a little bit more information or, hey, can you help me out or something? Or I need to send you an email and I'd like you to, to take a look at something and consider it. And, you know, ask me um, for my advice on, you know, one aspect or another. And besides the... Um, besides the continuing education training. Very passionate about criminal defense. That's why I was I was uh, happy to participate with your podcast today because um, I work a lot of, of violent felony criminal defense cases and I can see where I'm able to make a difference in the amount of time uh, a person is uh, has to serve for you know initial crime, maybe getting some charges knocked down, uh, getting charges thrown out altogether, you know, based on the investigation. Um, uh, I just really am passionate about about that, doing a good job, and uh, I like to believe that the that the deck is stacked against me, and. Um, if the original charge is, you know, we'll make something up. If the original charge is homicide, you know, I want to look at all the elements of a homicide and see if um, what kind of case the uh, prosecution has, and I want to try to tear that case apart. And uh, I won't, I won't break the law. I won't break any rules. But I think that everybody deserves a good defense. You were just talking about that statistic about how many people are in jail that really shouldn't be there, and that's that's just way too high. And I would not feel good to know that I was an investigator and um, something I did or didn't do contributed to somebody being in jail who doesn't deserve it, that I, I wouldn't feel very good about myself being part of the process and not affecting it 
in a way that would, you know, help somebody. Um, I don't do it for free. You know, um, you know, we get paid for criminal defense work. And if I'm gonna get paid for it, I need to do my best. So that's my uh, that's my soapbox. But um, very passionate about uh, doing criminal defense work. Our country. I, I mentioned earlier that we have so many people in prison that really the um, the United States had the highest prison population rate in the world at 716 per 100,000 people. And that's that's although there's only 5% of the world's population that lives in the United States, it's home to 25% of the world's prison population. So those numbers are crazy. Um but this is a perfect point to uh, to take a quick break and, and let our sponsors um, have a minute to be heard. Uh, we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. ELPS Private Detective Agency is here to provide you with security and investigative services. Our specialties include criminal defense, surveillance, security consulting, loss prevention investigations, and more. ELPS Private Detective Agency is a dynamic team of professionals with over 30 years of experience. No case is too small, too large, or too difficult. We're licensed, bonded, and insured. Visit ELPSPDA.com on the web or call us at 877-SEE-THAT. ELPS Private Detective Agency. Fighting theft, fraud, and crime, one case at a time. What defines your success? Is it success in your business? Success in your personal life? Is it more money? Is it meaningful relationships? How about your passion? Listen for Taking Care of Business with host David Wallach. David's guests share their challenges and what they did to overcome them. What if you can let your passion for success lead you to your success? Taking Care of Business is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? To reach Jeff Stein or his guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can send an email to Stein at elpspda.com. Now, back to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Welcome back. So... I just want to touch on real quick, Eric, you were talking about uh, the the training and, and that you are approved in several states to do continuing education training and whatnot. And two episodes yeah. ago, I think it was, um, I think it was two podcasts ago, I, I did, I, I talked a, a little bit about some of the 
conferences, the PI conferences, and I know I was just in one in, in um, a fraud conference in Missouri a few weeks ago, and tonight I, I head to the Pali conference from, that'll be Thursday and Friday in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and I'm actually presenting on using a, a investigator for criminal defense work, so it's kind of a perfect tie-in, but I, I was stressing how important it is for private investigators to go for continuing education and really to, you know, just continue staying on top of laws and trends and ethics and methodologies, you know, conducting investigations. So for for those listeners out there, it is extremely important. And people like Eric who, you know, take the time to, to teach not just new um, and upcoming investigators, but seasoned investigators as well. And as we're training, we learn from that ourselves and attending these conferences and seminars, we, we have the opportunity to learn from from our peers and colleagues. So it's, it's really important. So I'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned that and talked about that. Thank you. Well, um, well I appreciate when you uh, came down to uh, South Carolina, uh, your your session was well reviewed and, and, you know, there was a, you'll, you'll probably be able to speak to it. Also, there was a lot of talk between the uh, participants, um, a lot of healthy discuss- discussions about things that they were working on or what they believed was a, a good way to do something. And, you know, somebody else uh, was able to say, hey, you know, I got this other thing that works, you know, within the topic. And um, every time we have breaks, nobody got up to go to the bathroom or if they did go get coffee, they came right back to their um, seat so they could continue, you know, a, a side conversation. So, um, and I know, I know for sure that there are folks that were participants, not just come to me, but they've been going to other participants about some of their, some of their specialties, some of the things that they do. So it's, uh, it's great for networking. It's great for education. I, I highly recommend it. Yep. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. And, and you're right. You know, you learn so much. You, you get to brainstorm with with peers, people who, you, you know, know more than you. I mean, there there's people um, who have been in the industry or, you know, in the public sector or private sector for a long time. And so you get to, to learn from each other. And it's it's a great opportunity. You, you, had, you, had, you had mentioned uh, that doing some of the work that you do and, you know, for example, you hypothetically threw out, you know, if somebody was charged with a homicide, you know, and you do the research to, to see, you know, really, is that what they should have been charged with? And last, last week or two weeks ago on our last episode, we had an attorney, Tony Messina, who is a really great attorney in in New York. And I, I enjoyed our conversations, but a lot of what she does is what she finds in in New York for a lot of her cases that they overcharge, you know, they just throw the book at the people and, you know, they may, they may be guilty of doing one thing, but they charged them with 10 different things. And really it puts that person in the position where they have to now hire an attorney and defend themselves and, you know, try to get those charges dropped because obviously it's going to create more havoc for them. Um, you know, with more jail time and more fines and, you know, so forth. So it, it's interesting. It really is. With, with, with that being said, I don't know if, if you follow all the news. I know you still have family in, in your hometown area in, in Philadelphia, but there's been a lot of corruption in, in the Philadelphia Police Department. And, and when I say a lot, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I like to sort of always 
I have this this caveat that I am pro police. I am not against police. I say this on almost every episode. You know, we're not here to to bash law enforcement, um, but we do find that you know they're like like any profession, people make mistakes, and there's a few bad apples. And Philadelphia has a few more bad apples than some other departments. It's also a big police department, but when you have you know one person, ten people, thirty people that are making these bad choices and there's corruption, that's thousands and thousands of, of wrongful arrests and convictions. And with everything that's going on in Philadelphia, do you find or do you hear about that where you are now in, in South Carolina? Do you run across that? Uh, I do. Um, the, the biggest thing that, that I find in doing criminal defense is... So we we talk about um, we talk about police officers or or any profession. There is a commission, and that's the the guilty act or a omission, which is the lack of action when when deemed necessary. So what I find is a lot of times there are omissions. And, and they're intentional omissions. For example, um, I have a case where the uh, officer believes that the case is a slam dunk. So there were witnesses at the scene, uh, but uh, by the time the officers got there, even though they knew who the witnesses were, and there were there were cameras at the establishment where the uh, where the shooting took place. They didn't bother to run down the witnesses. And then when, by the time I get the, the folks' names, they're a little transient, cell phone number is bad, they're hard to find, some of those things. So um, if they really took the time to, um, at the time of the, the incident, if they really took the time to investigate and ask some questions, even though it looked like they had a slam dunk, um, because they didn't do it, uh, it makes it hard for the criminal defense. And now they're kind of, kind of quote unquote, stuck with their man. Uh, they believe this guy is the one who did it. They weren't willing to look at anybody else. And they aren't, they aren't very flexible enough to kind of hear if you say, here's an alternate theory. So you really have to as a defense investigator, you really have to go out and quote unquote prove your alternate theory. You're absolutely so. right. No, it's it's really interesting. And again, there's there's some really good law enforcement and, and investigators. I'm I'm friends with several. I'm sure you are too. And you know they're by the books. They dot their eyes and cross their t's. And sometimes you find I, I think. I think Law enforcement gets overtaxed sometimes, you know, there's, there's so much to do, especially when you're looking at a, a police department the size of Philadelphia and hum, Philadelphia is high in homicides, just like Chicago and Chicago is right. going through their huge um, problem with corruption and they're retrying many cases. They put together a special committee because of some things that have gone on in, in Chicago. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happened in Philadelphia in the near future as well. So, but they do, they, they seem to sometimes put blinders on. And like you said, once they, 
they zone in on that person. There's no turning back. And I have I have a few cases like that, and and one that will be featured on CNN death row stories in in the next few months, where we actually are, are going to um, we have a PCRA hearing. We finally got approved. I've been working on this case for over five years. In November, we have a PCRA hearing, so I'm I'm hoping we get the approval to uh, to open up that and have a new trial. But I, I watch there. There's a bunch of shows on TV and. Um, I, I happen to watch the CNN death row stories. I, I think it's pretty interesting on what they do. And recently there was, um, there was one on about uh, somebody named Kevin Keith. And that's exactly what happened. They, they sort of put blinders on, in my opinion. And there's so much there to prove that he didn't do it. And yet once he's in the system, once somebody's convicted, it's so difficult to overturn that and to right the wrong it's and and I, I like to to mention this, or not that I like to. I just seem to mention this often. Is it's always that the prosecution and the defense, especially in those cases, when they're post conviction reliefs or appeals, and and you're trying to right the wrong after the conviction, they're very advers- adversarial, where they don't necessarily want to say, oh wow, let's look at this again. Maybe you're right. Maybe there is something going on because when that happens, they just put those blinders on, and that means if if the defense is correct and that person didn't commit that murder or whatever charge or whatever crime they're charged with, I mean somebody's still out on the streets who did. Right. Right. So, um, and I'm I'm sure you had some of this in in your investigations, uh, th- this one case comes to mind where, again, it looked, it looked like a slam dunk. And based on the totality of the information that I had, it looked like, um, looked like, uh, the defendant that I was, uh, representing as the defense investigator, uh, looked like he was at a gas station at about, 2.30 in the morning with some friends that it was near a club that had just let out. Uh, he um, uh, supposedly shot at uh, somebody at the gas station, jumped into the back of a late model Mercedes with some rims and dark windows, drove down the street, and then law enforcement was there for um, another uh, fight and drove down the street after him. They didn't find a gun. They didn't. They didn't do a GSR test. And uh, but the officer said that when he sped off, he he saw him fire, and then he saw him speed off. But a lot of cars sped off, but he saw him speed off. So you know, on the surface, like, oh, okay, well, looks like he did it. So he was adamant that he didn't do it. So for me, I kept reading. The, the police report, the incident report, and some of the other evidence that went along with it. So I noticed at one time on a police report, the officer said that he heard the shots and he looked up and he saw the guy jump into the car and pull off. And in another time, like later on down the, down the line in the description of the report, he said that he saw the he saw the defendant fired a gun, 
Um, and that's how he knew to, to chase after this car. And so in my head, I was thinking, that's eh, not something that you would necessarily mix up. Like, did you see it or did you hear it? If you, if you saw it, the assumption is that you heard it because of where he would have been standing. So you don't have to mention that you heard it. But one time he only mentioned that he heard it. So in this particular case, uh, I went to where the officer would have been standing, and I know exactly where he was standing because somebody else was kind of taking a, a Facebook Live video of of the, uh, the after party <laughs> at this okay. gas station. And uh, so I knew where the officer was standing, and then I checked with the officer again, and he told me where he was standing. And based on, I had to put my drone in it, in it uh, above the gas station and point down and, and take some drone pictures and video. And what I found was it was impossible, impossible for the officer to be where he was and to see the shooting. And so what the officer later admitted was, I really didn't see it, I heard it, and I knew what direction it came from, and I saw these guys jump in the car, and I knew it had to be done based on the car, and the guy, when I pulled the car over, we checked, and the guy had a record, I just knew it was him. That's not known as him. That's probably a pretty good guess, but that's really not known as him. And... Um, some other information later on um, led me to to the determination that the that the guy I was representing did not do the um, did not do the shooting. So that's just an example of just just being good at your job. I mean, it's just just looking at stuff, looking at looking at reports, looking at them critically. Uh, not not taking uh, uh, what you read or what you see uh, as factual, uh, and you know any information you you get, you know, prove it. Like if somebody says that, you know, kind of like show your work. <laughs> somebody says two plus three is five. Okay, well, what is what is five minus three? All right, so you proved it, but you know, go through and prove everything. Uh, and if you can't, there's a reason why you can't. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, I don't know if, if you ever attended the criminal defense investigative training council, their certification program, um, in, in Florida is where the criminal defense investigation training councils is, um, offices out of, but, I'm a, a board certified investigator. And, and one of the things that they teach and that they recommend is the component method. And it starts off with, number one, investigative case review and analysis. And, and what you're doing mm -hmm. is exactly what you said. And every, you know, most investigators do some form of this. They just, you know, have it as six steps. And it's the component method. But everything you're talking about, um, you reviewed the police officer statements and, and the case files, and you saw that there was inconsistencies in his statement. So, you know, that that's one of them. Then in the component method, number two is the defendant interview, you know, speaking to the defendant to learn, you know, what, what he can tell you. Number three, challenges mm -hmm. 
um, the, the crime scene examination diagram and photography and really talks about going to the crime scene to see what you can see. And, and you just, you, you hit the nail on the head and, you know, really did things that probably a lot of other investigators wouldn't have done or don't do. And that's the, putting a drone up in the sky to see, could it really be done? And, and when I heard you say that, I'm like, wow, that's awesome. That's really exciting because that's good shit. <laughs> that's good stuff. Um, yeah, you know, I, I had a couple cases where, you know, uh, either eyewitnesses say they saw something or um, particularly when particularly, <laughs> particularly when it's dark. I've had people say, I, I was there and I was standing at blank place and I looked across the, the parking lot and I could clearly see him and what he was wearing. And then I'd go out to that same parking lot and put the drone up at the same time that they, you know, said they were there and can't see a thing. <laughs> you know, I can even put the drone down at, let's say, you know, five feet, 10 inches and, you know, look in that direction. And, you know, with the, with a 4G, you know, ultra high def camera, I, I can't make out a person, you know, at 40 feet right. away and, you know, that kind of dark. So um, just those little things. And I mean, you, you know, you do it long enough, you learn some, some of it just is just like, like uh, common sense, but you have to be there. You can't just take somebody's word for it. When you go out and you say, no, nah, that doesn't work. If you're standing here, it's not possible for you to see it. Or if you're standing here, you know, it wouldn't necessarily, you know, work that way. So there's just some, some common sense things that happen. You know, um, I had an attorney who I really enjoyed working for and said, anytime you have a, um, uh, a series, uh, um, very serious, like a aggravated assault case or a murder or, or a sexual assault, Two things you always do is go to the scene and recreate it and create a, and recreate a timeline because sometimes just the timeline is off and the timeline makes everything else off. Absolutely. Yep. So, yeah, and <laughs> here you're mentioning, you know, a bunch of things that I'm going to go over tomorrow in my presentation. So we're, we're on the yeah, same page. Okay. I love it. <laughs> And, and that's true. And, you know, one of the things be, before we take a quick commercial break, I, I just just want to reiterate, never take anyone's word for it. Right. So if the prosecution says this is how it happened, that doesn't mean this is how it happened. And, you know, obviously you're there to, to from a criminal defense standpoint, you're going to go there. And, and if you would have put that drone up and saw that there was a straight line of sight, you know, and he, he could have seen it. It is what it is. You're, you're not trying right. to, to fabricate the evidence. We're just there as another set of eyes who are working for the defendant. And he says, and, and you're looking at it from an objective standpoint and say, wait a minute, that's impossible. Couldn't have happened that way. There was no way you couldn't have seen this or, you know, heard this. So verify, verify, verify. You know, we talk about that in the PI industry all the time, you know, with everything. And, and that's, you need to, you need to be there. If you don't go to the crime scene, you're, you're not doing justice for, for your client for sure. So. With that said, let's take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back.
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. ELPS Private Detective Agency is here to provide you with security and investigative services. Our specialties include criminal defense, surveillance, security consulting, loss prevention investigations, and more. ELPS Private Detective Agency is a dynamic team of professionals with over 30 years of experience. No case is too small, too large, or too difficult. We're licensed, bonded, and insured. Visit ELPSPDA.com on the web or call us at 877-SEE-THAT. ELPS Private Detective Agency. Fighting theft, fraud, and crime, one case at a time. There are many people who claim to be dog experts, yet they don't really provide a connection between dog owners and their best friend. This is where the BS stops. Listen for Taming the Wild and Your Dog with expert author and nationally recognized dog trainer Brian Bailey. Each show has experts, professional trainers, and veterinarians to give you the right answers. Listen for the safety and well-being of your dog. Listen every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to is there really truth and justice for all to reach jeff stein or his guest today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or you can send an email to jstein at elpspda.com now back to is there really truth and justice for all Welcome back. And Eric and I were just talking about some different components of, of the investigation in a criminal defense and uh, starting off with investigating the case files and review and analysis of all the statements that were provided and the defendant interview going to the crime scene. Next in, in sort of my checklist would be victim and witness background investigations uh, and then witness interviews and statements before you write up your report. And Eric, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but numerous times after the fact, I'll go and meet with the, the witness. And, and one person that really stands out is this guy that I, I met with who was shot 13 times in the stomach. And I mean, it was it was a, a, a sh- big time shooting, obviously. And it was amazing that this guy survived. And he showed me, he lifted up his shirt and, and showed me, you know, his his wounds. And it was like, it was like there was no skin. It was almost like plastic wrap, like saran wrap, kind of covering mm-hmm. all his organs. I mean, that's how bad it was. But he knew adamantly who the shooter was. So, and and he, I mean, he let me into his house. He opened, you know, let me talk to him and interview him. He was extremely cooperative. And I showed him a picture. I said, do you know who this is? He said, yeah, that's so-and-so. I showed him another picture. Do you know who that is? And he, he paused, he looked, he goes, no, I don't know who that is. And I said, that's the guy you testified shot you. He goes, what? That's not him. So-and-so shot me. I'm like, no, you got their street names confused. This is him. And this is who's in jail for shooting you. And he goes, that wasn't him. So 
Wow. Sometimes it's as simple as going and talking to the witness. Now, just because he said that doesn't mean that the guy gets out of jail. It's a whole process, and I know you know that. And uh, for our mm-hmm. listeners, it's extremely difficult to undo the wrong, like we were talking about before. But that's why it's important to go and, and verify, 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 and talk to people. Um, I, I have uh, another another case that the guy's in jail for attempted murder, and um, the the person, the victim came forward after the fact and recanted his statement. He's another one who was shot a few times and said, no, he wasn't the shooter. But when he was going to testify, the court said, or, or he, he got up the day of the trial and he left. And the, the cops went after him and they said, if you don't come back and testify, we're going to arrest you. So they intimidated him. So he went back, mm-hmm. he testified and said that, yeah, so-and-so, you know, that's who did it. Well, years later, I get a, um, I take an affidavit from him saying, no, you know, he wasn't the shooter. This is what happened. They, they intimidated me. They told me to, to say this is who it was. But, you know, it wasn't him. The courts didn't care. So he refused to come in. He didn't want to come in because he was afraid that they were going to arrest him. He was in the system previously, and he's started a new life mm-hmm. moving forward. And he didn't want to be arrested for um for um, lying in court. And so he refused to, to come to court. I took a video, um, uh, I videotaped his statement and his recampment. And it was about a six minute video and he addressed the judge and so forth. And we brought that in and, and gave it to the, the DA's office and they wouldn't, they didn't care. They refused. They wouldn't, we were asking for immunity so he wouldn't um, he wouldn't be affected or charged or whatever, um, and they refused. So it's frustrating. So my client's still in jail for this. This guy still calls me every mm-hmm. now and then. He feels guilty about it. This is where prosecutorial misconduct, um, witnesses, just the whole thing where they really don't care. You know, it, it should be one team, one goal, and instead. It's like a football game, and you know they want to they want to win. It's not a matter of winning; it's about doing the right thing. Would you agree with that? Uh, a- absolutely. Uh, I didn't work on this case. Uh, I knew a guy who he he came to me and told me the situation that he was a, a school resource officer, and he saw a group of girls going into a bathroom during a, a class time. And so he kind of knocked on the door, told the girls to come out, and they wouldn't come out. And I guess they were, you know, like, you know, we're not in here kind of thing. And so he went into the girls' bathroom, and he he, he, he saw them putting out, uh, I guess they were smoking uh, marijuana, and he, they were trying to put it out and try to, you know, fan it out the window, that kind of thing, before he came in. You know, so two of the girls ran out, and one of the girls, he kind of had cornered in the bathroom, and he told her he was going to take her to the principal's office, and, you know, she begged him not to, and, you know, she said she wouldn't do it again, and, you know, she kind of learned a lesson. So he let her go, but um, when some of the other girls were talking about what happened, she said that he cornered her and he touched her in the bathroom. He said he absolutely didn't do it. So the other girls who ran out said that, you know, yeah, they saw him do it. The uh, girl that was in the bathroom said that he did it. And so they decided 
before they went to court that they were going to tell the truth. The two girls who were the witnesses say they were going to, you know, tell the judge, look, we don't want to see an innocent guy go to jail. We just didn't want to get in trouble for smoking weed in the bathroom. And we thought that if we, you know, said that he was doing something, that would make sure that we wouldn't get in trouble with our parents and some other stuff. So now we're going to tell the truth. And so two witnesses plus the girl, they're going to tell the truth. They tell a prosecutor. The prosecutor calls them into the hallway and says, or the solicitor calls them in the hallway and says, I don't care what the girl said. You can take your chances on moving forward with their original statements. Even though they recant, I'll just make it seem like they're scared of you or, or just scared or whatever. You could take your chances and get 15 years, or you could take the plea and get three. Either way, I don't care. And so he felt like he could win the case, and he took the three years because he said, you know, the solicitor was pretty pretty adamant that, you know, one way or the other he was going to jail. And he could choose between three years or 15 years. And uh, he'd already... Um, did about nine months in the uh, in the uh, county um, in the county jail waiting for trial, and he just went in and took the three years. I felt bad because I really I really believed him. I really believe he didn't do it, but uh, you know, facing fifteen years when he when he already did nine months and maybe get some good time, I guess he thought it was worth it. He didn't want to take the chance. You know. You bring up a good point, and and I tell all my clients, I said, first of all, when 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 I get a case, I know I don't know whether they really did it or not, right? Until you start investigating, right. and you can go by what the facts present. You know, you can con- come to your own conclusions or assumptions, but the facts are the facts. So you don't know. And mm-hmm. I, I've worked a few rape cases and and got a few people off and. I have another one that I just picked up um, where he was already he was he's convicted. And, you know, now we're trying to find some new evidence. And he was sentenced to 30 years in jail. But what I tell all Mm -hmm. my clients, when you're going to a jury trial and and you think it's a slam dunk that you're innocent, it's not. To me, the way everything that I've seen, it's like a 50 50 chance. You may win. You may not. (laughs) And you can't. You can't take shortcuts. You can't be cheap. You need to go out and provide all of the information or get all of the information for your original trial. Because after the trial, if you've been convicted, it is so much more difficult to try to right that wrong. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's frustrating to hear that. And, you know, like like that case you're talking about, you know, and, and sometimes, yeah, people, people do that just because they're afraid – you know, three years or 15 years, there's a big difference. And again, it's a 50-50 chance. It's it's a shame. It really is. Yeah. And I think he was looking at, so even though the, even though the girls were going to recant, um, it, so, so if you look at percentages, I mean, I can't put a percentage on it, but what percentage of people would think, hey, these, these, you know, ninth grade girls are just just scared to, to tell the truth now. They told the truth right. the first time, but now they're scared to tell the truth. Or sure. um, he, 
he did, or they may say in their mind, the jury is saying, well, he really did something. He maybe um, didn't, uh, you know, touch the, touch the girl uh, uh, in an inappropriate place, but he put his hands on her, and he shouldn't have been in the bathroom anyway, so he's guilty. Yep. You know, so there's, there's some of that. Like, the, the, obviously, there was a bad choice for him to go into the bathroom. He could have called <laughs> for a female assistant. I mean, they, they, whatever they were doing in the bathroom wasn't life or death. So for him to go into the bathroom was a bad choice. So uh, people think sometimes that because somebody makes a bad choice, that that in turn becomes a criminal choice or a criminal act. No, some people just make really bad choices. And because of those choices, they end up in a uh, a criminal event. You know, I I got into a car with somebody and he had a gun under the seat and, you know, his, his, uh, his tags were expired and now the police are pulling us over. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know anything about the gun. Well, you know your friend's a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you know he typically carries a gun, and, you you know, he's robbed people before. Maybe you just shouldn't have gotten in the car. So, you know, sometimes, you know, people are going to jail just for making – not because they did anything criminal, but they they made, like, a really dumb decision. And yep. now they're, they're, they're paying for it. Well, that happens all the time, unfortunately. Eric, would you believe yeah. it's been almost an hour and we only have about two minutes left? The show went really fast. So I have, uh, I guess, a, a question, a comment um, be- before we end sure. the show. It's been um, this this latest storm has been obviously devastating as to what it did to the Bahamas. And, you know, I know it's headed towards Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina and Georgia. Are you near any of the danger zones? Uh, no, um, I am expecting some wind here in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, some rain tomorrow. But right now, um, if we look at my office window, it's beautiful, it's uh, overcast. But really, um, two hours east of me to the coast, we're talking about um, places that people would know, Charleston, uh, Myrtle Beach. It's going to be really bad. And, um, you know, my heart goes out for those families in the of course, in the Bahamas, but all along the coast. I'm not along the coast, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna feel it. But those folks along the coast are gonna. They're gonna get it. And and, and yeah. uh, I wish nothing for the best for them. And I wish that they, if they, if they haven't evacuated, please do. Please, please get to safety. I, I agree. And Eric, my heart goes out to everyone. I, I hope everything turns out well. And um, I, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I want to thank our listeners. Uh, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you use to listen. As we continue to increase our listener base, we appreciate your positive reviews. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? We can be heard Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join host Jeff Stein for another edition of the program next week. 